0: Janine Bryan is an award-winning author of more than 65 books, including picture books, short stories, poetry, non-fiction and novels for young people and the educational market. Some of her more well-known children's books are Where Does Thursday Go?, "Hush Camels in Australia and other popular ones are "Dog Star Duck, Down, Rocky, Silly Galah, By Jingo, Wishbone, Leaves for Mr Walter, The Super Pup Buster, Party Time and Nature's Way A to Z. Her most recent book is Oddball, a short novel from the Lightning Strike series and is about a schoolyard handball challenge. Janine has been a teacher, actress, artist and writer and has even written scripts for Humphrey Bear, the iconic Australian children's program. She has been featured extensively on the South Australia Premier's Reading Challenge book list and has 19 books listed for the 2009 challenge. Janine lives in Glenelg, South Australia with her husband and her two daughters. Thanks for joining us today, Janine.
1: That's my pleasure. My pleasure. We've got a nice day here and uh, good to speak with you, Valerie.
0: Great. Now, you're one of the most prolific writers we've interviewed. How in the world do you manage to write so much? More than 65 books you've got.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, um, there are others out there with a lot more books than I have. But, you know, um, it is quite a number, I I admit. Um, And I think maybe... I think I may have always been um, someone who's been fairly disciplined. And uh, I've got school ch- friends who've come up to me and said, um, I always remember you as fairly focused, you know, fairly. So if you've got a job to do, you're going to do it and you're going to do it in the shortest amount of time or the whatever. So I may have already had that um when I was young, but also I think one time I was in a library, and it was when I was just first dipping my toes into whether I would, you know, be interested in writing. And this is many, many, many years ago, and a writer there made a comment that really resonated with me, and and it was um, it was the fact that you know people said, well, you know, where do you get the time to write? Mm-hmm. You know, you're a you're a busy lady. Where do you get the time to write? And she said, well, um. We've all got 24 hours in the day. It just depends on how you use it. Mm-hmm. And it really struck a chord with me, and I thought, well, that's so true. Um, you know, it's a lot of time-wasting that does go on. It depends on your whether you're a goal-setter, and I think I developed that habit uh, as part of my personality and part of wanting to do things and, and wanting to um, uh, make use of, of the day, um, mm-hmm. rather than letting it just go by, and and I think that my girls, my daughters, always smile when I talk about the chinks of time. You know, when the kettle's boiling, you can be doing some exercises, or <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. So I sort of value time in a way. I have a great regard for it, and I realise that you know we don't know how long we've got, and I just like to make use of it. And I also um, also am a I'm a person who likes to um, earn a a living. Um, So when I decided that this was going to be my living, then if I didn't work, then I didn't get uh, acceptances and I didn't get money. So therefore, that was a strong motivation as well. Um, Plus, I like to be, yeah, fulfilled. And I think that's that type of thing um, fulfills me. However, in saying that, I like a balance too. I do, I do relax. <laughs> I do relax. I do lots of lovely walks, and I do yoga, and and I love to read, of course. Yes. So that, that's probably it. It comes from a from something that struck a chord way back. It's something that I want to do. It's ah, it's just part of my personality as well.
0: And yes. at what point did you decide I want this to be my living?
1: Mm. That was just before 1990, and at that point I had been doing um, teacher-librarian. I was a teacher-librarian at a small Catholic school, um, which I'd had a, a wonderful time. I'd not been trained as a librarian, um, but I was off at the job, and I loved it. And in ni- just before 1990, the principal, um, the headmaster, was about to leave, and he and I had forged a great relationship and I wasn't sure what was going to happen after that and although I'd been working at the library three days a week and writing two days a week I thought okay we've got to go and have a new broom sweeps clean that's one thing the second thing was they were going to bring in the computers oh. and I knew that I did not have a computer head uh, and I also knew that that would that would take up the majority of my well I don't know three months five months seven months you know, and that's not where I wanted to be. I wanted to be. Um, I wanted to let someone else to do that, and I wanted to work with either words or with children. And if I, if they wanted that to happen in the library, then that seemed to be a good time to be thinking about what I would do would I what would I would go full time. The other thing was, we'd paid off our the mortgage of our house. I know this sounds very, you know, uh, bland and all the rest of it, but it's a huge importance because you can't earn. It's very difficult, as you probably know, to earn a living as a writer. So, having had that mortgage paid off the house, and having the two girls sort of, um, sort of almost out of, you know, school stage. Um, that was, and I had this saying too. I'm I'm full of sayings, but I have this saying that says, "If you're going to uh, look before you leap, but if you're going to leap, don't look too long."
2: Uh-huh, that's great, isn't it? Good.
1: So I I leapt in 1990 mm. and haven't regretted it at all because I loved still doing what I was doing, and I'm still involved in that um, in those parameters of children and books. Um, just in a different way, and I go out to visit schools as well. So,
0: but obviously, you do earn a living as a writer.
1: I do, yes, I do. So um, it, worked. <laughs> it works. It works. It uh, works. I think you have to be fairly diversified. Well, I do anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you have to sort of um, look at what is available. I mean, for for a long time, I wrote. I wrote. For anything, I wrote birthday card greetings. I wrote poems for people who wanted an individual, personalised poem. I would do anything, uh, you know, magazine little articles, um, anything really, just to keep the money coming in and my muscle flexing. Mm. Yeah.
0: And so, before that, though, when did you delve into writing? Um, initially? Was it while you were a child or was it later in life? When Mm. did you sort of start exploring it? Yeah,
1: well it it was probably more later in life Mm -hmm. when I had two girls of my own and I probably started looking at things then, like writing, mainly things for them too. But I do remember when I was about 21, and I just, and I was out teaching at that point, and I do remember being very excited by um, an idea that I had and racing home, and tapping away on this little Olivetti um, manual typewriter this this story, and of course, like, like a lot of us. Um, you send it off, and you you just wait for the you know the acceptance to come back. And of course, it didn't. <laughs> and uh, you know you you feel as though you've been kneecapped, quite frankly, for a long time. And a lot of us get turned off and so on. Um, but but it seemed to seemed to hang with me. And although I'd not really had huge amount of encouragement, I suppose I got some encouragement with my English teachers and things like that. But but no one ever sort of um, drew me aside and and just whispered in my ear, look you're going to be a writer. You know, you've got it. You've got it, girl. No one ever said anything like that or near anything like that. So I sort of didn't really take it on board. And then when I was in my 30s, I think I probably started Dabbling. Um, and that was when I started doing a few little online and uh, not online courses, um, sort of distance education type right. courses where I received, you know, the stuff in the mail because that was you didn't have to front up. Yes. It was it was good. You could just do it at your own time yes. and and it was sort of I sort of crept in like that. Mm. Mm. So it was in my thirties. And, and I'm in my 60s now. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And you write across a number of genres and mm-hmm. age groups. Do, mm-hmm. do these all require a different approach to your writing, the way you get into the space for each genre or age group?
1: Yes. Um, yes and no. Um, often I find that I have a particular feeling in my head and my, my body and whatever when I'm about to write a poem. Mm. And it's as, all, it's as if... Somehow, everything is all everything uh, every day or whatever has disappeared from within um, the space around me, and it seems as though that's when the words will come easily. And sometimes picture books, or or sometimes the gift of a book, um, when it comes through, comes through at that particular time. However, um, writing for different age groups comes. Um, with, I think, a bit of intuition and a bit of experience. Having worked with children um, for quite some time, I, I seem to be able to intuitively work out a vocab with um, that would suit that particular child. And not just a vocab, but a sense of the interests and the attitudes um, of that particular child. And, and a, like a very, very small example would be, you know, I might be writing um, she arrived yeah. for one age group, but then I'd say she got there oh, for the right. younger age group because I know children will know they, that word got and I yeah. know that word there because yeah. I used to do a lot of, you know, sort of language things with younger children. So I, I know to use the basic words rather than arrived, which they may not yeah. be quite so familiar with. Um, And I'm very interested in how children learn anyway, particularly reading and and language. So I guess um, having worked across a few year levels in in teaching, being interested in listening to children as I go around the place and noting things, Mm. I suppose it becomes part of your your stock trade is to to be able to work out what what age group you're actually going to pitch it for. And um, I don't tend to go for the teenagers. It just doesn't seem to be me. Right. <laughs> and um, I mean, I can tilt over the belt. I can get to about 13, maybe 14 at a push. Um, but beyond that, no. Um, and, and lots of people have that kind of feeling. They have a particular um, connection right. with a certain age group. And mine's definitely from, uh, you know, two or three years up to about, yeah, 11, 12 in that mid junior primary primary age is, is where i feel very comfortable so tell mm. us so, mm.
0: so sorry tell us a bit about your most recent novel then oddball and how that came about
1: yeah well oddball was um it, it was a it was a very long gestation um but interesting too in so much as uh, i had carried when i was teaching i was i carried on you know you have to go out on to yard duty. Yeah. And um, sometimes you think you've got to make use of your time when you're out there, <laughs> apart, from, apart from, you know, watching that the kids aren't strangling each other or sort of hanging from a tree. So I just, I used to carry a little notebook um, when I was out there, and one of the things that I wrote in 1984 was this little um, snippet about these boys wouldn't. Do you know the name? The, the game handball. Yes, or, yes. Yeah, handball. Um, some some countries call it hand tennis, um, but this you know, handball. And um, so you have your four corners and so on. And what and I heard one of the little kids say, "We're not got, we're not letting so and so play because he's too good. He always gets us out." <laughs> so they were sort of. Pushing him to one side um, because they just knew that he was too good and that they wouldn't get a game and then I started playing with that idea a bit, I thought, well, you know what happens if someone really what happens to the people in that game it's quite a, it's quite interesting because, in as much as does a good a guy who's really good at it never get a game, or does a guy who's really bad at it never get a game? Mm. And I started playing with those things uh, in my head, and I must have uh, must have stayed with me like most ideas that people write about tend to linger a bit, and it stayed with me. And then um, I received some information um, a couple of years ago from uh, Walker Books, and they were doing a new series, particular new series, and it was. For kids who had missed the first round of reading, in other words, they didn't quite, you know, the penny didn't drop the first mm. time around. So they were wanting really fast, pacey, uh books, um, oh. often for boys in that sort of 9, 10, 11, 12, 13-year-old range. Mm. Um, so quite a span. So in other words, the, the words had to be words that they could really grab and go with, there had to be humour and it had to be of an interest level that, you know, they, they could relate to. Mm. Um, so I sat back and drummed my fingers on my chin and thought, what on earth could I do? Because mm. I was really keen to do one. And then, of course, I remembered this incident about hand tennis, and mm. handball. And so... I thought that's something I could do. I, I could, And the first, first draft I sent to them, they liked it, but they said it was too worthy. In other words, I put, you know, it wasn't quite funny enough and they wanted it to sort of be a really... Um, a, a good grab and they also wanted it to be um, a, a book where you could actually highlight certain different types of narrative text or different texts so that they might be reading and then they suddenly have to read an email or they might be reading that oh. and suddenly there's a note that they have to read so they're getting you know, good values of reading in that way too mm. so anyway I plugged on and um, I came up with a character Sol and um, Sol is just an ordinary little kid or an ordinary kid, um, who just gets so fed up with this Todd Agostino, or Aggo, who is the king ruler of the school, and and top bully, and great sportsman, and all that. Um, and he just gets so fed up, because Sol never gets to, go- to have a proper go at this game. Yeah. And it's the only game he can play. Right. Like, he's he's, he's dead boring on the cricket pitch or the football field. So, you know, give him his dues. He did try to get into doing handball, but of course this Todd Agostino is, is wanting to rule the roost. So like a little kid, if they get frustrated, they, they'll say, I'm going to tell you. or, or you know, my my dad's a policeman. You know, that kind of outburst, which is not true. Mm. Um, and so Sol, in one day of frustration, says to this Ago I'm going to beat you, I'm going to beat you at handball. And he says, oh yeah, oh yeah, kind of you and what army. And he says, "Um, I'm going to beat you and I'm going to use hypnotism. (laughs) And he's actually painted himself into the biggest corner because he has got no idea what on earth he's going to do. And so the rest of the book works the way through um, how he's going to deal with it. And the ending is of... One of these things is, and you, you know, with that bullying situation, it's the bully has to have someone to bully. And Sol, in the end, realised that though through, um, through the storyline, you get a sense of him practising a lot more. So in practice, he will get better. But he did not beat, so he did not beat Todd Agostino. But Todd Agostino's win was a very hollow win,
2: right?
1: Because in so much as Sol had actually grown himself in his own self-esteem, right? Through the storyline of what he did in his own practice and his own development, and he had a lot of support from the kids too because they felt that you know they couldn't care that Sol that that had won again anyway. So the bullying aspect, um, which came through, um, really left a bully without anyone to bully,
2: Mm-mm.
1: and so a bully without anyone to bully is is a Bit of a weak bully, so they get their power taken away from them. Mm.
0: And and what what's the next thing you're working on? What are you writing now?
1: Um, what I'm writing on now is um, well, I'm actually going to Brisbane um, on Thursday, and I have been very lucky to have been given a May Gibbs Children's Literature Trust Creative Time Fellowship.
2: Great! That's a <laughs> yeah, mouthful!
1: <laughs> it is a mouthful, and it r- really means that you've been allowed, you've been on the basis of your Next project, which is what I'm doing,
2: mm.
1: um, you have been given a month, up to a month of where you are. Uh, you have um, an apartment mm. where you are undisturbed and you can write to your heart's content. Fantastic! So that the book that I'm writing on now, that, that I'm working on now, has been one that I has been sort of going for a long time, and it's it's a historical novel, right. and it's set in. Um, in the 18, sort of mid to late 1870s, in an area in South Australia, but not necessarily South Australia, uh, where copper was discovered. Oh. And copper was discovered in a little areas called Moonta, um, Kadena and Wallaroo. And that actually was in the... Um, that. That's where the setting is and that's the, the time frame. My character is um, a rather nice kid called Arthur and the basic premise is that um, he they had in those days what they called picky boys. Picky boys were the boys who were employed by the mines to sit at a long table and pick the good ore from the bad ore and put them into different
2: containers. Right.
1: Um, and a lot of kids... From the age of eight upwards, mm. would go and do this because the the mining cottages and the mining situation was extremely poor, mm. and so a lot of kids went and did that as as part of their, um, you know, getting money for for mum who might have nine, ten kids, mm. and more in these tiny little cottages that the uh, Cornish people built. They had we had twelve thousand Cornish people come over. Uh, to uh, in South Australia and they went into all sorts of mining areas all through Australia and South Africa and uh, South America, I should say, and North America. So they were great miners and the story is about this boy who is put into a situation at a school by a rather revolting, cruel teacher who, um, because he realises that uh, Arthur is left-handed, ties his hand behind his back and in those days of pen and ink Arthur's work becomes absolutely a shambles. Mm. There is a lot of bullying going on in that situation as well. And um, it's it's this decision. Will he leave school? Will he go into work in the mines? Will he start as a picky boy? And there's conflict with the parents too. They've come out from Cornwall to give their kids a better start. Um, so that's what I'm working on now. And that's what I'll be working on when I leave um, and we spend a month in, in Brisbane.
0: And so, something like that obviously is, apart from writing, there's quite mm. a lot of research in that Fugitive. kind of thing. Yeah. So, can you just describe to us your typical writing day? Like, mm. is it something you do nine to five, you're in the middle mm. of the night, or how does mm. it work for you?
1: Mm. Yeah, no, I'm not good at the middle of the night. Okay. <laughs> I suggested to a friend to, uh, I'd heard someone say, um, sit outside and just look at the stars and have a Little headlamp or something, and and see how your writing goes. Because I heard someone say they got the most wonderful writing out of that. Now, I just can't do that. Okay. Um, no, and I just get up. I get up at a reasonable time. I suppose it's anything from six thirty onwards. Mm-hmm. And that balance again. I know that I'm going to be sitting for a long time, so I try to do some exercise and go for a walk, mm-hmm. um, and then um, hopefully oxygenate. Up, you know, the cells upstairs, yes. and then, um, and then what I do mainly is I let myself and my brain know that I'm going to be working. So I start off with writing my diary.
2: Mm.
1: I always have a, a diary, just a general diary, and I just write in that for a bit. Often I'll do a bit of practice writing because I think even though we've been, you know, I've been writing for so long. It's just so good to have a little bit of practice writing going so I might get a little bit of a, a trigger and write on something like that or I might find a book that I've got some exercises in. I just do a little bit of that and it's sort of more or less preparing me. I often do a lot of get rid of my emails to the, the the ones that I think are more urgent yes. and I often do that. So basically I'm sort of you know stepping, stepping, stepping into it. Um, And then I would start, I I probably would be started by at least half past eight, nine Mm. o'clock, and that's when I try to get the majority of my work um, going, and I drink a lot of cups of tea, and (laughs) I have a lot of water, so therefore I need to go to the toilet quite a bit. But that's good, because it means that you're not, you know, you you have to sort of move a little bit when you've been sitting Mm. strained and and tense and concentrating mm. for, you know, 20 minutes or 30 minutes or whatever it m- might be. And um, so d- then I am I would be trying to keep that work pattern up for as long as I could. Um, and, and that might be that I keep going till 2 o'clock. 2 o'clock I tend to fade a bit. I don't know. It might be the blood sugar level, but I'm not sure. But then I'll come back a bit. Um, and sometimes I can work till 6. Sometimes I'll finish at 3 and do other things or two or three o'clock in the afternoon and I'll do other things. But I do feel like um, I have to put in that certain uh, nine to five days, you put it. It's it's sort of a work ethic kind of thing. Mm -mm. Saturdays too, sometimes in the afternoon, although my Saturdays are mainly um, a beach walk and then housework and then mosaics. I have a nice little studio and I do mosaics most of the afternoon. When I've cleaned up, I often come back in here too and what, that's when I get that sort of lovely space. It's like I'm saying, I'm writing, but it's not my work day. Mm. And often I get nice feelings coming through and, and work that seems to, to flow nicely too. But I do do an awful lot of research. Mm. And even when I'm writing non-fiction, um, I have, sorry, even when I'm writing poems, um, I still some of my non-fiction comes through too, you know, even little. Can I read you one little? Yeah, please. One. Um, there's just one here from um, my book called By Jingo, um, and that's all about uh, Australian birds and animals. And I wanted it to be bright and bold, and I wanted it to be quite short and quirky uh, poems, and with a little bit of information around the outside for people who are tourists who don't maybe know the the animals and our mm. uh, birds of our country. But anyway, this is this is one, and I, you know, sort of had to make sure that my my non-fiction information is correct. Anyway, it's emu. Mm-hmm. Emu is a fattish mound of feathers on two legs, with fluffy, stripy babies from largish, greenish eggs. He also has two goggly eyes with which to peer and peek, and is thought of as a sort of nosy, sticky beak and that's the end.
2: Gorgeous. Oh, thank you.
1: <laughs> and that's probably taken hours and hours and hours and hours to write. That yes. Really yes. But I mm-hmm. wanted to get the quirkiness of that sticky beak. You've probably been near emus and they just, you know, they they bend their neck and they want to peer and peek and they want to look and they want to see what you've got in your hand and yes. so on. And so you've got the fact that it's a he, so it's the dad looking after the, mm. you know, the chicks and, mm. and, and, and there's some information as well in that... Um, in that little poem. So, my non- non-information comes through not just in non-information books, or no, I shouldn't say non-information, non-fiction books mm. or information books. Um, it often comes through in some of the things that I'm writing, and certainly in 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 the fiction book, the the novel that I'm writing now has required a huge amount of research. Um, I like research. Um, I, I like um I like being a bit of a detective. <laughs> yes. And I also um I also am amazed at what I become interested in mm. that perhaps I would never have become interested in. And I think it's such a bonus being a writer, that it does um, you know, offer you these opportunities to look at things that and to delve into things that would have passed you by. So I get you know, I guess what I'm doing is I'm sort of filling filling my life with with interesting things too. Mm -mm. I think I'm lucky in that regard as well.
0: Now I think Mm -hmm. that a lot of people would be surprised to know what you just said earlier about you you start off often with the writing exercises. I mean you've already written Mm -hmm. more than 65 books and yet you're still Mm -hmm. starting your day with Mm -hmm. some practice exercises. Can you just give people um, just a couple of examples of what some of those exercises might be specifically?
1: You might just take three words any three words and from that, you have to write a paragraph using those three words.
0: Three words to start the sentence, or just yes. three random. No,
1: words? no, no. I mean, that's that's one way. But you might be able. To, you might say you take the word uh, bird, um, challenge, and ice cream. Right. So you've got bird, challenge, and ice cream, and then without thrashing your head too much on the table, you start to write, mm. and you, all you all you're knowing is that you. have if you you have to allow yourself the freedom to let the words come that are going to bring those three words together in a kind of a in in some kind of a um you know piece of work mm-hmm. no, nothing that has to be sent off or anything it's just your practice and what it does it makes you realize that you can write about anything mm. it frees you up it opens that subconscious that um it's, we've got all got so much uh, information and ability um, so that's one one thing another thing might be um, like you you might flip open a book mm. and you might take the first sentence mm. and then you go on from that. Yep. Um, uh, another thing I might be I might do is I might just have a feeling like I might um, look out and see some some like I can see now is the birds in the bird bath mm. okay and I will simply write very quickly about that just right, yeah. very quickly. Um, and I've got books of them. i exercise books of them. And sometimes, you know, when I flick through, there's not, you know, some not bad stuff there mm. that you can might be able to make use of, or you might be able to get a few words. And I love making up words. Mm. You know, um, there's, we've got billions of words in our language, but to me, I, the joy of being an Ogden Nash or a Doctor Seuss is, mm. is even more fun. So. Um, I like to make up words, and sometimes I find these creeping into that work too.
0: So do you write longhand or on the computer?
1: Um, Well, most of my original thoughts will come out in longhand, and then I get this sort of buzzy feeling that I can take it onto the computer at that point. Um, Sometimes when I get stuck, I'll go back to longhand, and sometimes when I want to brainstorm, I'll go back to longhand um and sometimes i find that i've if i'm not by the computer if i'm say stuck somewhere and i've got my little notebook mm-hmm. and i'm just writing something i find that i actually slow down a little bit and get some richer writing when i'm just doing a little bit of longhand mm-hmm. and that's quite interesting to note too because mm-hmm. sometimes we'd put it on a computer and it looks pretty good mm-hmm. you think well that's okay but actually maybe you know just just taking time off to do a little bit of longhand writing is, is not a bad thing either. I, nothing set in stone. That's what's that's what's so interesting. Um, you know, most of my books start in a different way. I don't have a formula for any of them. Right. And, and a lot of and this this one that I told you about before about the copper mining mm. uh, one, which has got a, a name at the moment called Mind Out. Um. I wrote that. It started off as a short story, and it's gone into so many different versions. And and then, I've just sort of almost wiped those versions because I I just sat down one day and decided I'm going to write the first sentence that comes into my mind. I'm going to rewrite this, rewrite the, with the first. And it started talking about ghosts.
2: Mm. Um,
1: and that's th- and that threw me for a while. And then I thought, well, no, there are lots of pits and old shafts and dead mines. There could be a lot of you know, supposedly ghosts hanging around. So I was able to get into it that way and actually it really opened my mind into exploring different ways of writing. So now mm-hmm. I would never have thought of that before. Mm. I guess it's just really learning to trust yourself after a while. Um doesn't mean to say it's always right, but trusting yourself to go that extra mile without um, being too um, critical of what's coming out of your mind and your brain. And I... I've been to a couple of courses. One was called Catch the Whisper, and I think that's really helped me loosen up a little bit. Right. <laughs> I'm not. One, I don't know that I'm one of these real good plotters. Um, I probably should be a little bit more, but um, I tend to see what happens, and then this could happen, and this could happen, and yeah. this could happen.
0: So, so finally, what advice do you have for aspiring children's writers who are listening to this?
1: Um. I think, I mean, apart from apart from the, the, the most important thing is obviously to read mm. and read widely mm. and write because a lot of people think it's going to hit them. They're going to sit down and this magic is going to <laughs> happen and it simply doesn't. It really doesn't. I guess what I would do is I would, um, I really would start going to some courses mm. and I would start looking for opportunities where I could um to do to do those courses I think is is really important because if I had done a lot more of that I think I would have saved myself a lot of heartbreak and and time but um in saying that I'm still you know doing all right but um so I would really recommend getting into that that frame of mind where you are saying to yourself okay if I'm going to write and I really am going to make an a job of, not a job, but I'm really going to make it uh, worth worthwhile, then you have to look at it as, as a learning job. You have to look at it as an apprentice job. Okay, what are you going to do as an apprentice? You're going to find out as much as you can. Mm. So you So you start learning by going to classes or taking on courses or going to the library and picking out from the 800 section books that talk about writing and do the exercises. Don't you know a lot of these books say um, you know here's the information and now just do some exercises and it's very easy to just turn that page and go to the next yeah. chapter. And that's the hard thing is to say okay I will do it. I'll do those exercises because it's going to help me. At the training side of it, I think is is absolutely important. It's important I think to try and get together with other people who are writing, and I think it's important to. Um, To look on your computer and check out the most, you know, you you can tap in writing or, you know, children's literature or or romance writing or whatever, and you are going to get so much from that. So use it Mm -hmm. at your fingertips. Don't sit back and wait for it to happen. It won't happen. You have to be an actually a very determined person, and I think you can, you know, quite frankly there are tears involved in writing. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> there really, really are. And um, so you've got to have, to, I think you have to develop two skins. I read this once, so I wish it was original, but it's not. Um, you've got to have two skins if you want to be a writer. One, you've got to have a tough skin to get through all the rejections, and it, that's part of a writer's trade. We all get them, I still get them so uh, you've got to have a tough skin to weather all of that and all the ups and downs of the publishing business and you've got to have a a sensitive skin if you didn't have that sensitive skin you wouldn't be writing because you wouldn't be a soul that's um, involved in the imagination and um, trying to create so you've got to have two skins and um, it's worthwhile trying to develop those. Mm, wonderful,
0: great. Well, wonderful advice. Thank you very much for your time today, Janine. Really appreciate it.
1: Oh, it's been lovely talking with you. Really nice, and I hope your weather goes as nicely as ours.
0: It's gorgeous today. Gorgeous. <laughs> lovely.
1: We'd like a little bit more rain over here, but um, anyway, never mind.
0: Well, next time okay. you're in Sydney, you have to come and visit us at the centre.
1: We'll do. Thanks very much indeed for speaking with me, Billy.
0: ValerieKoo.com That's ValerieKoo K-H-O-O
2: dot com Thank you for listening